Welcome to Building a DevSecOps Mindset in Government panel discussion, sponsored by Red Hat. Here's today's moderator, Tom Tennant. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guests today are Pamela Wise-Martinez, Chief Cloud and Enterprise Data Architect at the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. William Tinston is Program Executive Officer for Information Operations at the Defense Logistics Agency. Adam Clater is Chief Architect in the Office of the Chief Technologist at Red Hat's North America Public Sector. And Shane Barney is the Deputy Chief Information Security Officer at U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services at Homeland Security. Great to have you all here. Our subject today is software and secure development and the modern techniques and strategies that agencies are using. So just to kind of set the scene, why don't we start with what some of the big software projects that you have going, what the missions, what the uh, applications are, and some of the strategies you're using, whether waterfall or some of the new modern agile techniques. I imagine there's a combination of the agencies. And Shane, we'll start with you. Excellent, thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Um, USCIS has aggressively pursued cloud and, and, and cloud environments in the last few years. Uh, we've moved roughly 60% or so of our infrastructure into the cloud. Most of our systems run out of there now. Um, we are aggressively moving what few systems we have left in data centers to the cloud. Um, and, and therefore, the, the adoption of more modern sort of software practices, development practices have been very important to us. Um, we, have, we have really embraced an agile development environment. Uh, every aspect of our development now, as far as I know, is agile. Um, we employ a significant uh, development team to do, to do so. So you're looking in the ag to 2,800, 3,000 or so developers. Um, you know, to constantly develop and constantly issue new releases and, and whether they be minor releases every other day, major releases every other week, um, we were always pushing code. Um, therefore, you know, security at that level and when you're with that involved and it becomes critical um, in terms of staying ahead of that. You, if, you, if you get behind in that, that kind of environment, you're really going to get behind. Not only that, security cannot be applied after the fact. Um, so we've, we've really, on the security side, we've really had to change the nature of how we view information security. We've stopped looking at it as a sort of a checkbox on a, on a form and really gone to more a risk-based model. And we approach all aspects of our information uh, security practices with uh, the notion of risk. Um, that means we have an ongoing authorization program that therefore, you know, instead of looking at our systems every three years uh, in, in a regular kind of FISMA sort of cycle, we're actually looking at them at every single solitary month. Um, now clearly there's a cost associated with that, not necessarily, well I'm sure there's a monetary cost, but there's also a cost in personnel. To do this sort of level of activity is not, is not easy, it, it requires a lot of investment in personnel and time, it requires a great deal of training uh, of your personnel, and a lot of trust has to be placed on them. We, we actually bake our ISOs right into the development process, they're there on the ground, um, and with the idea that they become our eyes and ears, they see the things that are happening. They meet with the developers. They are at this. They're at the uh, the development sessions. And, you know, each time they, they actually know the code. They know their environments um, because we rely on them to know how things. You know, when a new vulnerability is exposed or something new is coming down the line, we rely on them to know how that applies to their systems. And just a quick question sure. on some of the applications: Are these deployed for agents within USCIS, or are these to the public? So we're going to have you know the one that most people are going to probably be familiar with mostly is Ellis. It's, you know, right. tends to get in the news a lot. Um, Ellis is a very aggressive program. Uh, immigration is, is to tackle immigration and to deal with a system that tries to take a very paper intensive process and turn it into an electronic process. Um, it's very challenging, very, very challenging. If you spend any time in our service centers anywhere in the nation, we have five of them, you'll get a full grasp and understanding for the the, the volume that they deal with on a daily basis. So to develop a system that handles that electronically is very, very challenging. I, I would say that the waterfall approach simply will, would never work. The agile approach has worked and has continually worked. It allows us to sort of take bites out of that animal as we go along as opposed to trying to take on the entire process. Um, you know, we, we have other programs that are coming along, the Viz, uh, E-Verify, mm -hmm. people are familiar with on the, on the business side. Um, but the VIS, but then we're also, you know, we have an ICAM public uh, program as well. All these are public-facing systems that are all utilizing agile principles um, for development. So we're releasing code on a consistent and constant basis. Okay, a uh, lot going on there. Let's move over to the Defense Logistics Agency, DOD setting. William Tinston, what's what? Well, where, where do you begin with what <laughs> with what the DLA is doing? Well, <clears throat> thanks, Tom. Um, we have a DLA approximately 46 defense business systems that we manage and uh, about 250, 270, it's a moving number, other applications that we manage uh, 
on a regular basis. Now, as we talk through this today, what we're really trying to do is get away from managing systems. Systems are really uh, a concept that we want to get away from. We want to abstract the user experience from the systems that are providing the capabilities and really have a conversations with our, with our users about capabilities, and I think that really fits into the Agile model and, and the DevOps as we move forward. So of those 46, maybe I said 56 the first time, it's 46, uh, defense business systems we have, they run the gamut from financial systems, we do the DLA financial system as well as the fourth estate, which is the other DOD agency's financial system called DAI, we do retiree and annuitant pay, uh, we support the procurement space within DOD uh, very broadly. Um, so it's a, it's a big portfolio, um, and, and I look forward to, to the conversation about how we're trying to deliver capability in that So, But it's portfolio. safe to say you're trying to migrate a lot of those systems, the ones you own particularly, to a totally different architecture and totally different code base? So really it's about, yes, in some cases we want to get to a totally different code base. Um, we think about it from a multi-speed IT perspective, right? We've got big ERPs that have been in place for 15, 20 years. They provide core capability to the enterprise. Um, delivering through the ERPs has uh, traditionally been a waterfall method for us over the last 15 years. We're getting away from that. I would say at the moment about 25% of our delivery efforts are done through Agile. I'm trying to drive that to 100%. Uh, and we're probably at 10% 10, 10 on DevOps, and I'm really trying to push that out and, and tie the security in. And it, the idea, the, the pony in it for us is we want better business outcomes for the people that are using the systems. And to do that, we want to engage uh, the business users up front. We want the discussions about what we're delivering iteratively to, to include what the technology can bring to the table so they're not off in another room writing requirements for six months, toss them over to us, and then we spend six months trying to deliver, and then before we get to DevOps, we spend six months doing regression testing after that. It's 18 months and we're delivering something that's not meeting the business need. So that's, that's what we're trying to get away from. Mm -hmm. um, uh, iterative, quick delivery, and uh, uh, improved outcomes for the business side. And do you have a lot of contractors doing this, or do you also have so we split about coders we or? split about fifty fifty. I've got about a thousand government folks, and I think we've got about a, a thousand contractors. And we've taken a very deliberate effort to make sure we get that balance right. And look what the skills are that we're best off contracting for, and what the skills are that we're best off uh, maintaining in house. Uh, my biggest fear when we look towards outsourcing things, uh, a contract bringing contractors in, is you can, you can always do that effectively once, but you need to be able to be a good buyer of those skills and a good manager of your uh, uh, business capabilities going forward. And if you hand everything to some, a contractor, how do you do that well the next time uh, when you have to face competition again and bring somebody else in? Okay, good. And for the perspective of a small independent agency, Pamela Wise Martinez, Federal, I'm sorry, Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. That's okay. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Uh, so, uh, as you said, our, our organization is fairly small, um, but we have a big mission. That mission is obviously paying pension benefits to those who, who have the um, fortune or misfortune of an organization that has been closed or uh, whose pension has, you know, uh, been taken over by PBGC. So, so in that sense, we have a really big mission. Um, on the other hand, uh, we've been around uh, about 40 years or so. We, we're, we're not an, uh, an, an agency like, say, Treasury or Social Security Administration things like that. But um, when it comes to delivering software, when it comes to delivering infrastructure, I think they really do a great job. So my role coming on uh, board was to help focus the cloud initiatives, uh, sort of streamline their processes. Um, so uh, not, you know, not uh, attempting to to more or less change everything, you know, from the bottom up, but really trying to uh, look at what's being done really well and uh, support their uh, initiatives as they move forward. So, for example, uh, when I came on board about two years ago, they had an agile initiative, and, and quite frankly, for a small organization, that's, you know, that's a unique and, and, and sort of uh, uh, interesting thing to, to have to go through um, when you have small teams. And, and then when you look at the security 
maturity teams, obviously they're even smaller when you compare that to the delivery cycle. So uh, coming on board, one of the first things that I did, I noticed that these teams weren't really uh, communicating as well as I thought that they could. And, and as you, you can see in the dev, the dev ops as well as DevSecOps uh, world, that communication and culture and people are really the keys to making things work well. Um, now that wasn't my focus. My focus was really to help uh, deliver a better streamlined integrated process between the security teams, the project managers, the architects, uh, and acquisitions. So we developed a, a process by which the, um, the, uh, the, the, the process between all four of those different areas, what I call work streams, uh, are better communicating and better integrated. They know what the, you know, each, um, each uh, component needs and uh, how quickly they need it. Now, that isn't an agile methodology. What happens is this is a process by which um, it's sort of the before uh, segment. So you can kind of map out whether it will be an agile initiative or whether it will be, you know, our standard, uh, not necessarily water for more of a rough process. I guess you can a more of a traditional approach. Um, but today, uh, because the systems at PBGC, many of them that are really key to our, our pensioners are really, you know, they're, they're older systems. And so from that perspective, an older system, um, you know, although you're, you're not uh, necessarily uh, uh, running towards an agile type of methodology, however, you realize that uh, the customer has really been clamoring for this change. So so what do you do? Are you going to deliver uh, the system in agile methodology or are you going to go traditional, a nine-month, 18-month, you know, two, three-year process? Uh, so in, in many cases, um, um, the agile methodology was used to support those projects that were older uh, um, uh, modernization or modernization that was necessary for, um, for example, calculation of benefits, future benefits, economic analysis, those kinds of things. That's where the agile methodology really uh, took took lead. Um, however, when you're delivering a you know SaaS or COTS, if you will, product and so forth, wasn't wasn't so necessary. Right. Uh, but I see you know security. Uh, at the front end being a key component to any methodology, any framework, and that's where EA comes in. So EA says, you know, enterprise architecture comes in and says, you know, how are we, how are we uh, uh, doing this? How, how is the SDLC working? Uh, what are the end results? What is the performance to the organization? So we're tying technology and business together. And so, uh, quite frankly, if IT isn't delivering the way it should, uh, there's certainly a need for uh, uh, the uh, enterprise sure. architectures sure. to get involved. Okay, so, we're going to get back to that in some more detail sure. as we go uh, through. And Adam, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I made a really, really good point uh, when you said it's not always agile, right? We can't be agile fanatics. Every delivery of capability has its own peculiarities and you got to look at the specific situation that That's decides right. what what's going to make you successful there. Yes. So I, I I loved hearing you make that point. Yes, All right. <laughs> Good. And uh, Adam Clater from Red Hat uh, maybe explain if you would uh, sometimes I hear agile and devops used interchangeably mm. and I'm not sure that's quite accurate. Yeah. No, that's fair and I think that I, b before we tackle that, I want to talk a little bit about the theme that we've heard sort of from everyone. Um, there is no one-size-fits-all, right? And I think what this really comes down to is as you look at approaches within your agency, uh, you really need to have choice in sort of your decision-making process. Uh, is this workload suitable for a public cloud? Is it suitable for a private cloud? Is it suitable for public cloud A or B? What's gonna be the best cost-benefit analysis for the mission based on that decision-making process, right? So I think what's really important to understand as you go through this process is that that analysis that you guys are talking about doing so much of um, on suitability of any particular workload for cloud or for DevOps or for Agile, we've got to make sure that the agency is prevented with, uh, presented with a variety of choices around that. Um, 
DevOps versus Agile, they very much go hand in hand. Uh, you can certainly do Agile development without DevOps. I think DevOps and DevSecOps, which it sounds like a lot of folks are really moving towards, um, would be characterized by frequent release cycles, uh, regular updates, and then sort of that idea of continuous authorization, right? Which is, I can assert at any time, generally, a, a month, for example, which is a much better time than maybe once every three years, as you said. Yeah, I think we all agree on that one. Um, I can assert that my security profile around this application does fit sort of the spec that we've uh, negotiated the quite often. Model. That's right. The risk model that we've negotiated with the business and with sort of the certifications that we have to maintain. Uh, whereas Agile, uh, you could do Agile development and only do a deploy every three months, right, or, or whatever your sprint cycle defined. Um, when you bring those two together, uh, it's, it really becomes about the elimination of risk and the elimination of waste, right, uh, in the process. And I think marrying those two together with Agile DevSecOps is really where we start to reach sort of this developer nirvana, um, where our developers focus on delivering business intelligence and business functionality and spend a lot less time thinking about how am I going to build an infrastructure to execute on the mission, right? That needs to be sort of table stakes. We need to say, okay, this is going to be a platform and this is going to be the infrastructure that we deliver on. And let's get out of the business of engineering and re-engineering and DIYing infrastructure and let's move forward with the value to the business. Okay, good place to take a break on. Our guests today are Shane Barney, Deputy Chief Information Security Officer at U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. William Tinston is Program Executive Officer for Information Operations operations at the Defense Logistics Agency. Pamela Wise-Martinez is Chief Cloud and Enterprise Data Architect at the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. And Adam Clayter is the Chief Architect in the Office of the Chief Technologist at Red Hat's North America Public Sector. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin, on this discussion, Building a DevSecOps Mindset in Government, sponsored by Red Hat, here on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. If you're in government IT, you know the challenges. Pressure to modernize legacy systems and migrate applications to the cloud. Innovating for the future can leave you looking for a trusted technology partner. Hi, this is Paul Smith. At Red Hat, we're helping government IT speed up and orchestrate application development and deployment with Linux containers. We give you the infrastructure and platform your team needs to take advantage of everything containers has to offer. Learn more about Red Hat's container solutions at redhat.com containers. Welcome back to our panel discussion, Building a DevSecOps Mindset in Government, sponsored by Red Hat, here on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. My guests today are Shane Barney, Deputy Chief Information Security Officer at U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. William Tinston is Program Executive Officer for Information Operations at the Defense Logistics Agency. Pamela Wise-Martinez is Chief Cloud and Enterprise Data Architect at the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. And Adam Clater is the Chief Architect in the Office of the Chief Technologist at Red Hat's North America Public Sector. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. And let's talk about this idea of rapid delivery of software code. This goes with the whole DevOps, and we're going to get into the DevSecOps piece of this, mm -hmm. and goes with the agile kind of thinking, mm -hmm. where you're constantly delivering code. I think Shane mentioned that they're almost continuous delivery. And starting with you, Pamela, what is the best strategy for rapid-fire delivery of code and application functionality consistent with making sure that it's secure? which is in some ways the biggest issue facing everybody. Well, I, I think I'd like to take just a slight twist on that and maybe a little step back. That's because, for, <laughs> because first of all, I think, you know, we, we can't jump to DevSecOps unless we have a DevOps mindset, right? <laughs> so so uh, I think that's one of the reasons why I wrote a white paper for PPGC so that we can sort of evaluate what that would mean for us. We were already in this soup, if you will, into the agile methodologies we were growing and learning and leading in. Uh, but what we weren't doing is, is looking how DevOps could really support that continuous delivery, that continuous delivery model. 
uh, um, mindset, if you will. So I think um, what what we're looking at is now today is uh, moving forward towards a DevOps uh, approach, uh, what we call greenfield, brownfield, some people call bimodal. I mean, there's different terminologies that you can grab and look at. Uh, but at the end of the day, what we've been looking at is how, how can we take advantage of cloud, number one, take advantage of containerized environments, number two, take advantage of platform standardization, number three, uh, and then and, and then I think we can really start to get into this. Uh, I think we'll be ready for a, a DevOps mindset, or we will be in a DevOps mindset, if you will. Now, the security components of that being the most critical um, components from my perspective since I started my career over 25 years ago, maybe a little more. But uh, I think that um, in, from the very beginning, um, Security has to be up front, it, and, and people have been saying that for, for years, and so I don't want to be a broken record there, but in the code development, in the unit testing, and in the integration, when the customers are down at the you know conference room pilot kind of testing uh, components, I think that's where security has to be baked in up front and, and, and when you do that and when you create a culture for doing that, I think that's where you get the, the mindset. It gets, sort of goes hand in hand. You start bringing the uh, teams together. That's something that we haven't seen. I think traditionally uh, your programmers are sort of you know off on their own doing their thing, uh, whether they're in the agile methodology, whether that's an integrated team or not. Um, but as you move forward, I think now today we realize that the business units have to be clearly involved as they are in the agile methodology, but they have to be even more involved even at the security piece of it. So it's a partnership from the developers, the mindset at the business layer, the mindset of the, uh, the uh, architects and the engineers delivering uh, the, the tools, the code, uh, what have you. So I think that well, it's... Let me get specific just for... A sure, second here, because sure. you, you mentioned security when you listed all the teams that you mm -hmm. want to communicate. You said security first. Yes. And now security may not be doing the primary coding of the application. Absolutely. So how do they get in there to make sure that, or when do they get in there? Well, they have to be part of the team. I mean, this is, I think you have to, so, so two things I think you have to do. Your programmers, number one, have to be trained and, and, and set up for success. They have to understand the kinds of things that the security teams are looking for. Security teams have to be tightly integrated with the programmers. They can't be sitting off on some island and then voila, the code comes over and now we say, you know, it doesn't work or it failed and we found these risks. No, it has to be part of that whole uh, unit testing in the build process. So I think that that's the key. Uh, bringing those two groups or those two technologists, if you will, together, programs and security architects together, working together. Now, the problem with that, and I and I think the uh, the rest of the panel will say, you know, the security teams in a small organization like PBGC isn't huge, right? And everyone is pretty much focused on a, a checklist, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to get out of that checklist mindset, and we have to get more into the development mindset. So we have to be sort of partners with those programmers. So I think that's the way to go. Okay, uh, Bill Tinston, how, what, what's your view of making sure the security is baked in when there's this? Uh, new approach to well, it's not checklists. Checklist management is the absence of management. So, um, we've been talking for many years about engineering security in, and I think the DevOps, Dev, DevSecOps environment just gives us an, another opportunity to do that better. So we we integrate them through the agile teams. We have the security test tools that are running regularly every time we build something. Uh, we get more iterations of security testing. Uh, we get them engaged in the in, in, in the multidisciplinary agile teams that we're running, and it gives us another opportunity to do it better. And I think we're going to we're we also take a good chunk of the time on the testing side out. Uh, it's no longer an after after the build activity that we we run through all the security scans. Uh, determine what the security team decided was wrong with it and then go back and try and remediate them or explain to them why we did what we did and why it really doesn't need remediation. We have them engaged in the team up front and like I said you get them engaged through the automated DevOps uh, tool chain and in running the security tests and then down the line we're delivering secure code. Uh, 
Uh, and DevOps does that not just in security, right? The idea is it gives us better testing. We deliver better quality code across the board because you've moved that testing all the way left uh, and you just deliver better code. And security, I guess, in that testing for security also has to happen after you bring, say, two previously approved blocks together yeah. and integrate them or compile them to make sure it's still secure, right? Absolutely. Um, DevOps, just like any other technique or software, is not magic. Um, but it does give us the opportunity to get to deliver more, more business-relevant uh, capability in a reduced period of time with a higher quality delivery. Bill mentioned quality. I think security becomes yet another component of how we evaluate quality, right? Mm -hmm. And so we look at that throughout the stack. Uh, there are certain base assumptions that the security organization can presuppose uh, with an infrastructure. Let's say that I've got an operating system and technologies that security has said, if these are configured in this way and you begin developing on this platform, then, then that's a baseline that the security organization can sort of establish and allow for innovation to happen on top of it. So I think sort of Shane and I were talking during the break about this idea of developer nirvana. And in, in many ways, it's the illusion of nirvana uh, while presenting a set of governed faculties from which to build upon. Yeah, and I would totally agree. There is, developer Nirvana scares security people, always has. Um, but I, I do think it's achievable, but I think you have to keep it within confines. Uh, and you just have to make it, give the appearance of non-confines, if that's even possible. And, and, and I think it is. There is the, the environment that we operate in now with, with the various cloud vendors um, and capabilities that they provide us. They do enable us to provide a very broad range of capabilities and functionality uh, across a spectrum to allow them to pull from. So you really could create a developer Nirvana that does have an inherent security. Um, for me, though, when you talk about you know security of the process, security of the code, um, really what you have to really start thinking about is not so much having your security team in the traditional sense. Really, you need to start thinking of your security team as an automation team. Um, automation is your friend. It is how we function. It's how we do things. And instead of thinking of how we can initiate controls or gates or checks, we start thinking of how can we automate. Um, and where can we automate? How, how can we automate code checks? How can we automate check-in, check-out? Um, and, and, and if you start taking that down that line, you're also going to look at how am I going to automate incident response? Um, USCIS is aggressively pursuing in, uh, at a very automated incident response capability where certain aspects of an incident are already pre-done for us prior to us even getting alerted to the incident. So it arrives on the doorstep of our of my security operations center with a lot of information already done for us, or in some cases already determined. Code uh, development events? Or? At all levels. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't want, what I don't want to see anymore is an alert being an alert. I'm tired of paying people to sit in, uh, you know, sit at a desk and stare, and stare at a screen and go, oh, hey, look, there's an alert. Um, I, I don't want that anymore. I want that alert to do something for me. I want it to work for me. A system that doesn't work for me is n not a good system. Um, so the alert becomes a report. The alert becomes something that actually becomes an actionable thing. Right. And, and now, you know, and that, that's tricky, right? And, and that's where you have to have, that's where you have to start thinking of your security teams as these automation teams. They're running in there and they're automating that process. You know, in terms of the actual pipeline development, the process that the USCIS has developed, what we've done is we've injected into that pipeline, and, and completely transparent, by the way, um, and, and in full view in most cases, a number of checks at different places. So you're going to have like a static, you know, application review, where that's going to be more like code-based. It's going to be sort of like from the inside out. And then you're also going to want to have on the flip side of that more of a dynamic type where you're looking from the outside in, sort of from the user experience in. So what, what could a user do? What could they not do? What could they break? Um, that sort of thing. And then kind of in between and, and stuck in various places and in different ways is you're going to have your pen test team. And they are just going to run around and create havoc. Um, I think the best principle I've ever, the best concept that, that I think that we can build into our pipeline processes and our, all of our development processes is the notion of chaos. Um, I think uh, the, the Simeon armies is probably the best example I've ever seen of it. Um, not only that, they're just good fun, make great t-shirts. But um, you know, really this notion that chaos happens um, we assume that we're going to build really solid code and it's just going to, we're going to put it out there and it's going to function as we anticipate. Probably not. 
um, time and time again we have seen that that is simply not the case. But then again, we're also not really good at predicting how that's going to change or what new impacts are coming. So you, you basically are going to engineer chaos into your process. You're going to create chaos. You're going to bring systems down. You're going to take servers offline. You're going to drop entire regions offline. Um, you're going to see what happens. You want to see what your, how your code responds. You want to see how your systems respond. You want to see how your backups are actually working or not working. You want to see how your incident response teams actually respond. Um, you can't get there without actually doing some of that initially. And can you do all of that testing and all that, I guess you'd call it almost uh, uh, simulation of, of, of the real world well, before you deploy it's it? Not, it's, it's actually real world. I mean, you really do that to your production level systems. Well, you do. So you're not oh, just yeah. talking about the development environment with well, all these things. Well, you do both. Yeah, you're going to look to do both. But you're really looking to, to poke as many holes as you possibly can because that's what the hackers are going to do. That's what they are investing all of their time and energy into doing, is poking holes in what you do. And how do you so bring cloud you into all of this? Because well, cloud enables all that. Um, I, you could not do that in a non-cloud environment, in my opinion. Uh, a static you know, data center approach with your traditional rack and stacks of servers, bricks and mortar, uh, it doesn't allow for that. You can't spin up and spin down environments at will and whim. Um, you know, that, in, that obviously inherits a, a great deal of risk associated with that. With uh, a cloud-based environment, there is a considerable amount of damage that can be done if not properly controlled. But those controls, I think, you can bake in. Um, I always talk about security at the root, where you basically, at the very platform level, kind of as uh, Adam was saying, at the very platform level, you bake in security. And it simply is inheritable of everything above that and non-changeable. So at that point, can't we also begin also talking about automation of ATOs? I mean, if I've inherited my entire security base mm -hmm. and I've got all my security controls already baked in and they can't vary outside of that environment, why can't they inherit an ATO? Absolutely. There's no reason I can't do that. <laughs> now, I wouldn't say we're there, not yet. We're working our way there. I think that's what, this, that's what pipeline, that's what DevSecOps enables. That gives us that flexibility and that capability, but it really does start with that automation piece. Sure. Pamela? Yes, I, I think what you just described it feels more like rugged IT because it's a little it's it's a I think it's a different sort of uh, view of the world as opposed to DevSecOps or DevOps where we're looking at really looking at everything end to end like it's a it's a problem and we need to as you said bake in the the, the security uh, continuous monitoring uh, quality assurance I mean it's it's all that so we're really like boots on the ground, um, really focused on how you're securing not just the software, the infrastructure, how you're training folks. I mean, it's really, we're really at that point, I think, you know, with uh, software being the predominant, you know, sort of weakness, if you will, in our industry, that you have to take that mindset of rugged IT. Interesting. Adam, something to add? So I think everyone has sort of mentioned this concept of pervasive automation, that automation really becomes the key. How do I automate, whether it's by putting API layers in front of traditional hardware stacks so that I can automate deployment of all of that infrastructure, or uh, my ability to automate my cloud providers, or even things as simple as my network and storage elements within my existing data center. Automation across all of those things. And so I think as we talk about, especially DevOps and Agile, I like to draw a parallel between DevOps and Kaizen. I really feel like DevOps is the merge of Kaizen and Agile development. So high quality production, continuous deployment, integration of the entire team into the development process, and then this absolute elimination of waste. And, and the way we talk about elimination of waste is automation. Right? That's really the way we achieve the elimination of waste in our processes. It's just it's fascinating to me that we're talking about bringing all this automation into the delivery of the business capabilities and the managing the systems. It's absolutely right, but we've been doing that for the business processes for years. It just seems backwards that we're doing this in the IT space now, uh, when, when all of our jobs have been delivering that kind of automation to the business processes for years. And we're going to get into more about fine-grained about automation and orchestration and containerization in the third segment. Right now, my guests today are William Tinston, Program Executive Officer for Information Operations at the Defense Logistics Agency. Pamela Wise-Martinez is Chief Cloud and Enterprise Data Architect at the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. Shane Barney is Deputy Chief Information Security Officer at U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. And Adam Clater, Chief Architect in the Office of the Chief Technologist at Red Hat's North America Public Sector. 
I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. This discussion is Building a DevSecOps Mindset in Government, sponsored by Red Hat, here on federalnewsradio.com and Federal News Radio 1500 AM. If you're in government IT, you know the challenges. Pressure to modernize legacy systems and migrate applications to the cloud. Innovating for the future can leave you looking for a trusted technology partner. Hi, this is Paul Smith. At Red Hat, we're helping government IT speed up and orchestrate application development and deployment with Linux containers. We give you the infrastructure and platform your team needs to take advantage of everything containers has to offer. Learn more about Red Hat's container solutions at redhat.com containers. Welcome back to our panel discussion, Building a DevSecOps Mindset in Government, sponsored by Red Hat here on federalnewsradio.com and Federal News Radio 1500 AM. My guests today are Pamela Wise Martinez, Chief Cloud and Enterprise Data Architect at the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. Adam Clater is Chief Architect in the Office of the Chief Technologist at Red Hat's North American Public Sector. Shane Barney is Deputy Chief Information Security Officer at U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. And William Tinston is Program Executive Officer for Information Operations at the Defense Logistics Agency. And before the break, we were getting deep into the idea of automation of the many steps and processes involved in software development. And automation is easy to say, but I guess I'm wondering how you get there. And Bill, why don't we start with you? Well, we're kind of feeling our way there at the moment. Um, we don't have a defined platform that we make everyone use or a defined set of tools. Whereas Pamela was, was discussing earlier, looking at what's right for each program, I think there's a lot of, a lot of tools out there with a lot of names I can't even pronounce, let alone remember. Um, and we're just feeling our way through what gets us there uh, in small segments, trying to see how the tool chain works and seeing w w which types of code it works for and then what our, what our future plan is going to be. We, we haven't committed to a single set of automation tools. Um, but part of what we're trying to do is even get away from, uh, you used the, the term orchestrating the automation earlier, but even doing that and moving away from the development so that, uh, uh, as Shane said, as we get to the cloud, we want to get beyond infrastructure as a service and just putting our stuff up in the cloud. Where practical, we want to get to a platform as a service where the security of the platform is handled by somebody else, or even better, uh, a software as a service or a capability as a service where, where the security is provided by somebody else. We get the benefit of the business capability at uh, reduced cost, uh, less investment, and it's evergreen, right? Uh, at DLA, we've done that with uh, our office automation stuff. We have a cloud-based provider that provides all the office automation stuff. We're doing it with our LMS, learning management system. We're shifting to a as-a-service, software-as-a-service delivery of that. And, and that's really our target. And in the meantime, we're looking at the automation of what we continue to deliver and, and increasing the automation there. But, but our real goal is to get away from delivery of software when it comes right down to it. And then as a service, much of that security. So at some point, even the platform itself becomes a software service yes. by virtualizing Yes, and that's network. in the middle. We want to get so, to the point where the capability, and, and we have some places where we've done it, where the capability is coming to us as a service. Yeah, so that means that the development of virtualized sets of hardware infrastructure, yeah. the network and the storage, et cetera, right. itself becomes something subject to the security testing regime that you have for the applications that yes. eventually ride on top of that. Absolutely, and even we don't have to manage the security of the platform if we're getting the capability as a service. Shane? Um, yeah, and I'd like to, to feed on that, and I, and I actually appreciate Bill's approach. Uh, my uh, cyber defense chief, loves to, uh, Adrian Monza, loves to say, if you want to go fast, you need to go slow. Um, and he's got a valid point. I think the world of cloud, it, 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 it's ripe with shiny objects. Um, and for anybody who falls in sort of the geek kind of profile, and I, and I admit I'm one of them, the shiny object syndrome is something to be very leery of because you're always looking for the next and the best and the greatest, and you're always kind of reaching over that horizon when you haven't really dealt with what you have on the ground. Um, so, so really taking that slow sort of a, approach to, to how you get there from here is, is a value. Um, but there's also another principle that I think that needs to come into play here, and, and that is sort of the, you know, Within the agile uh, methodology and, and within DevOps as well, there, you have to remove the fear, your fear to fail. 
Um, government is ripe with fear to fail. We, we, we have a lot of regulation around failure. Um, you know, the first thing we do in an incident is we look for who did it. Um, that, that notion has to shift. There has to be this cultural change. Um, you know, and, and I'm not going to say USCIS is perfect at it. We're you know, by far not there yet. But we are striving towards being there. We're, we're, we're embracing failure. We're, because what failure represents is not necessarily, oh, we failed as an organization, we failed as our mission. What failure represents is a learning opportunity. Oh, well, this has failed. So you know, within the code development world, they, they, want, they start testing code almost immediately. I mean, it's, it's barely out the door, and they're already testing because they want it to fail. If it fails, they know where the, the problem is, and they can address the problem. Security is no different, um, and it, but, but you know, don't correct me. Let me stop right there, though. You know, in the security world, if I fail as being a CISO in in a very larger sense, well, that's going to be a very bad day, and we would be having a very different type of interview. Um, you want to fail the second the code is finished. I would rather them fail very early on when it's still within a controlled environment that it can be addressed. You know, that being said, though, I never want to sit back and say, oh, well, I've got all this automation in place. I'm good to go. I've, I've covered my bases. That's actually going right back to checkbox security, mm-hmm. where you're really not getting any value add. You always have to, if you're going to have shiny syndrome, shiny object syndrome, you got to apply it to security as well. And within the security world, that means you're looking at the next horizon for what the hackers are going to do next. That's your pen test team. They are your chaos monkeys. They are the ones that are going to come in and wreak havoc across your organization. Um, my pen testers love to do this because um, I give them carte blank with my system, with my, 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 my accounts and my computers. So they can do whatever they want to me. Just please don't do it to my director. Um, and they do on a frequent basis. I've been fired via email, but I've actually sent myself an email and been fired by my own self by them. I've had pop-ups that's fired me before. I, I've had everything under the sun. But what they, what they're, <laughs> what they, what, yeah, I know. Should I take a hint? No. But what they're doing is they're they're, they're demonstrating you know holes within our organization that we have missed. And every single time we find one of those, we plug it and then we move on and we move on. Now we're getting to a point actually. Just the other day, we ran a pen test exercise. Um, and our SOC, and our SOC operations, we, we anticipated we'd be able to probably kind of skirt around the edges for a while, for about an hour, before our SOC would pick it up. Um, they caught it within about 12 minutes. Um, it was an impressive feat, actually, um, to the point where my pen testing was really upset. And, and I'm like, guys, you're the ones who developed these tools. I mean, you actually helped them get that point. But they got to that point because we kept testing and kept testing and kept testing. We never get, we never get comfortable where we're at. Um, and, and I think that's really a, a really important piece. So, and especially when you start talking about containerizations, microservices, and all these catchwords out there, you know, microservices, our, our uh, e-verifications, our verifications uh, portfolio is if heavily invested in microservices. Um, microservices are, are a form of containerization. Okay. So it's Which a way, is of con- way of containing, you know, it's basically what it does is you look at microservices, I kind of view them as like independent little mini micro like code, right? So they, they do one thing and they do it really, really well. And that's what they do. Is that the modern equivalent of objects? No. No. That's um, not how I'd term it. So think of microservices as usually you have like a really large application. Your application may do five or six different things. You've got to log in, you've got to look at some data, you're going to update some data, and then you're going to do some other activities, right? Well, that login service, we're just going to write a little service that does that, and that's going to be a microservice over here. And then as we get load coming up, we can scale that horizontally as we need to, and then scale it back down. Not everybody needs to be able to log in all the time. Right, maybe right. people. Right, you have surges on. of activity. So what's great is you take a little microservice, you put it into a container, and then you have an orchestration that can scale that horizontally and sort of manage it and have relationships between. If I've got five of these, maybe I need two of those, and sort of manage all of that infrastructure around the microservice. So what a lot of people are doing with application development is taking those big applications and chopping them up into their little components, writing microservices around them, and then deploying those in their infrastructure. It goes really well with DevOps because the authentication development team can be over here doing their job while the folks doing some other part of the business logic can be over there doing theirs. And by decoupling those larger components of the application, we can uh, be much more agile and DevSecOps friendly in the way that we're developing our apps. And for me also, you're spreading out your risk. Um, You're taking all of those little tiny pieces of a very larger application and you're breaking them down to smaller pieces where, in theory, you may have a risk here, but you're not going to have a risk across the entire enterprise. You can deal with that easier, faster, and you can hopefully automate it, especially on the alert side. But I think the biggest value 
value of that is really reuse because you know from an enterprise perspective enterprise architecture perspective and from a solar perspective that was always our goal it was principally reuse but also um, the benefit to the um, value to the uh, business as well as the IT strategy and making sure that IT is less the burden because you know we don't like to be cost centers but we've solely become these huge cost centers and we want to move away from those uh, that kind of uh, uh, you know activity so we want to be value to the business so that's one of the major things I think uh, service that that type of architecture has brought to the table given us the ability but going back to the continuous uh, sort of integration continuous develop automation I think automation is really from that perspective is the game changer at PPGC we started looking at um, you know chef and puppet and Jenkins and all the the different tools that were out there that were open source now uh, granted again being a small organization you're not going to jump out there and and be the first to to test something certainly these things have been tested over and over and over Red Hat Google I mean you name it AWS you know these tools have been tried and true and used however being a small agency you still have that concern you still have that you know concern about how you're going to you know evaluate and jump put your toe in the water if you will but I think through automation we have the ability to what you call leapfrog. You know, we can leapfrog over some of the things that have not worked so well for, for some of the larger organizations. We can learn from, you know, organizations like USISC, you know, so we can learn from various organizations, DOD, that have, that are doing things in a DevOps environment, that are doing uh, the DevSec, that are doing, you know, this rugged IT, if you will. We can learn from them and we can leapfrog and take advantage of automation and building uh, systems that are more yeah, so that knowledge transfer and also the concept of reuse, thanks mm -hmm. to microservices and containerization, Adam, that sort of plays into your idea of Kaizen. Yeah. a lot less waste. That, that's absolutely right. And, you know, when we talk about cloud, we've got sort of both views of cloud, I think, here at the table, which is always really interesting. And there's there's multiple, right? It's always the sort of what does cloud mean to you today because um, it's a continual evolution. But I think... You know, on one hand, we've got sort of this view of sort of the traditional data center infrastructure as a service view, which is great because you can start automating things within your data center today without costing any money, any additional cost mm -hmm. uh, with regard to cloud consumption. You can automate your way into your cloud provider, right? So you don't have operators sort of spinning up virtual machines in a cloud service, which means you can also automate your way out of that cloud provider. And I think one of the things that's important to understand about cloud adoption is you really need to have an exit strategy so you don't get completely locked into a cloud provider. Automation really helps you build that foundation. It doesn't complete the exit strategy, but it sort of gets you on the path to that exit strategy. On the other side, I think we've got sort of this software as a service focused approach, right? Which is, I'm going to take a look at my organization and I'm going to see lines of business drawn to applications and I want to pick those up and move those out so that someone else is responsible for those things. And that's all good and fine and great and that's a very successful approach. I think as an IT organization, you take on sort of this integration task though, right? How do I integrate all these applications? And I think as an organization, that becomes your intellectual property, if you will. That's the value that you drive through the organization. Um, and then I think at, at the end, you take a look at your, your infrastructure and you say, okay, some of this I've just got to lift and shift out to a cloud, and we're going to automate the deployment of that. And then you sort of get to this sort of, you know, you get to the FCC, we're 100% in the cloud, or, or someone else like that, which I think those are great approaches. So I did talk about software as a service as an end state that we want to get to with many of our capabilities, but it is not where everything is going to go. Okay. And so I think that the, the decomposition of our systems into microservices, mm -hmm. containerized things, mm -hmm. um, certainly gives us the opportunity for reuse, mm -hmm. but I think the real benefit that comes to us there is we've actually decomposed the systems and we're talking about capabilities and we get away from uh, managing by systems and an expectation from the business side that that system's going to do that thing for me and they try and manage IT for us. Right. So, so I, I think that's where the real powerful benefit of, of decomposing the capabilities that comprise the system is going to accrue to us. There is a lot of power there and a lot to be realized. There are some, obviously, some interesting thing, pitfalls that one has to be careful of. I mean, a considerable amount of planning has to go into containerization. Uh, you have to plan for container outages. You have to plan for if this container goes down, what picks it slack up? You know, what, does this container kick in? Does this container kick in? Having a simple container going out is, is, a, is a bad day. 
Um, you also have to have a very, very robust and very integrated uh, ICAM type environment. So you've got to have very tight controls on your authentication, your, your, uh, you know, your privileged access, especially, um, and who has access to those containers. Now, you know, honestly, if the end state goal actually of automation, really for us, is to remove the human from production. There should be no human beings in production ever. Um, production should be the outcome of, a pro of an automated process. Um, in other words, it's gone through all of its bells and whistles, it's gone through its checks, um, we're, we're good to go, we give it the red thumbs up and someone pushes a button and off it launches. Um, you know, you've got like four, I've, you know, if I had my way, I'd have four really, sure. really trusted domain administrators with, with access to my production environment for the, you know, oh my goodness, the world is on fire, we need to do something about it situation, but beyond that, I don't want anyone there. Um, we're not quite there yet, but we're moving heavily there. I, there's a lot of those security principles that you really, that automation's going to enable, but again, go back to my, my good friend Adrian Monza saying, if you want to go fast, you need to go slow. Um, cultural change is key. Sure. And a quick question, uh, just to get back to that idea of the develop of the automation tools, and you know, Bill, you said you hadn't settled on them. How uh, do they, what is the relationship between the automation tools that you choose and say your development environment or language, are they agnostic of one another? Can you keep so the I don't believe they are. I think you need to be looking at uh, uh, the environment you're delivering in and what the most appropriate tools in that environment teams are. Do. Right, yeah. and, and what the teams are able to do and, and what training you can get for them. Uh, so we, we want to make it as standard as possible and I think there's an integration, uh, there's another name for it, but sort of an integration layer of those tools that you want to be as standard as you can there and then you want the right additional tools to deal with the code bases that you're dealing with as you deliver. Adam, anything to add? We're almost out of time, but you get the final word here. Oh, well, you know, it's, this has been sort of a great, really comprehensive type of conversation, so thank you guys for being here. Um, I agree. I think that your CI-CD pipeline is going to be informed by sort of the skills, the capability, the language, um, and plugging security testing into that pipeline and making that all part of the equation. I, I think we just figured out what DevSecOps is. All right, well, that's a good place to end. We are out of time. I want to thank today's guest. Shane Barney is the Deputy Chief Information Security Officer at U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. William Tinston is Program Executive Officer for Information Operations at the Defense Logistics Agency. Pamela Wise-Martinez, Chief Cloud and Enterprise Data Architect at the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. And Adam Clater, Chief Architect in the Office of the Chief Technologist at Red Hat's North America Public Sector. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin, federalnewsradio.com and Federal News Radio 1500 AM. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsradio.com. Use the search term Red Hat. Thank you for listening to the Building a DevSecOps Mindset in Government panel, sponsored by Red Hat on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. The entire discussion can be found on demand at federalnewsradio.com. Search Open First.